what can happen to high-achieving people, people who use external structures to create a sense of love, safety, and belonging, fueled by a harshly critical voice, what can happen is we can turn everything into a mechanism for getting an A, including something as profoundly releasing as a meditation session. We can use something as profoundly important as, quote, our focus on our self-development, which was a phrase you used before. Am I developing fast enough? Am I getting an A in vulnerability (laughs) and authenticity? (laughs) Right? It's literally an endless process of finding reasons to not be worthy of love. And there's a, there's a core fundamental belief in Buddhism. And I don't know if you've heard of this notion of Buddha nature or basic goodness. But Buddha nature just basically boils down to this. We are fundamentally, inexorably good. We are born that way. And the clearest evidence of that is the fact that we're born human beings. And the logic goes like this. Only human beings can attain enlightenment. And since you were born a human, you have the potential, every potential to be a Buddha. And so there's literally nothing you have to do other than to remember that you're fundamentally good to stay worthy of love, safety, and belonging. There's nothing you have to do. This is completely radical in our Western culture because are you kidding me? If I don't wear the right deodorant, I'm not worthy of love, safety, and belonging. Yeah. (laughs) Right? If I don't smell right, if I don't look right, if I don't act right, if I don't, it's it's this constant set of barrage of messages. And in fact, what we use, what we do is we twist words, wishes for beautiful aspirational values, not as this gorgeous goal to reach towards, but as a source of guilt to somehow compel us to be better people. And the trap goes on and on. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I've been journaling almost every day since I was 16. And since probably about 2013, I've actually been using Evernote as my personal journal. And I did a quick search this morning for the phrase, not doing enough, just to see what was in there. And it yielded 524 results. I think this might be a topic I know well. I'd say it's a feeling I know really well too. The feeling that no matter how much you do, how hard you try, how many items you take on or how many items you tick off that list, It's simply not enough. And that voice and the search reminded me of a poem that we often refer to and work with our clients. And I wanted to share it with you all today. It's called One Source of Bad Information by Robert Bly. There's a boy in you about three years old who hasn't learned a thing for 30,000 years. Sometimes it's a girl. This child has had to make up its mind how to save you from death. He said things like, stay home. Avoid elevators. Eat only elk. You live with this child, but you don't know it. You're in the office, yes, but live with this boy at night. He's uninformed, 
but he does want to save your life. And he has. Because of this boy, you survived a lot. He's got six big ideas. Five don't work. Right now, he's repeating them to you. I spent the last few years of my life coming to more clearly see and hear that boy for who he is. He's not speaking to me because he needs me to do more or be more effective or efficient or be more productive. He's not speaking up to me because he's responding to outside feedback, though he does tend to view all outside feedback through the same lens of not doing enough. He's speaking up because he has a really, really important job to do, to keep me safe, to keep me loved, to keep me welcomed. And the key to doing that, according to him, is in doing enough. And the best way to make sure you're doing enough is to feel like you never are. But the question is, do I, as a 37-year-old man, want to take my orders from a three-year-old anymore? We all have our own versions of this voice, the little boy or girl within us, probably more than one. And they all see and say things a bit differently, but they're perfectly suited for us in an effort to keep us safe. How might we shift our relationship with them? How might we come to let our current self, the one who knows that not ticking all the items off the list will still be safe? How might we come to see things a bit more clearly now versus through the eyes of the three-year-old self? Leone, our guest today, knows well the voice of not doing enough. She comes to us from Australia as a high achiever, one who works hard to make herself more efficient, more effective, more driven, more mindful. In this conversation with Jerry, the two of them come to see and meet the three-year-old within her. And what might that little girl need and want? And more importantly, how might the Leona of today move forward? It might surprise you, or maybe not, to learn that the path to moving forward does not lie in a better to-do system, more efficiency, better meditation sessions, or more hours in the day, but instead actually lies in shifting the relationship with that little girl. Enjoy. Anxiety is something that so many of our clients, and many of us here at Reboot, certainly myself included, have struggled with. Wanting to shed some light on how to free oneself from the grip of anxiety, we teamed up with Josh Roman, COO at Clarita's Mind Scientists, and Dr. Judson Brewer, who some of you may remember as a previous guest on our podcast. And with their help, we are excited to bring to you our newest self-guided email course. Over the course of five days, you'll spend some time differentiating between stress and anxiety and exploring how those work in the brain. You'll focus on the root causes of your anxiety and equip yourself to better understand how and when it shows up for you and what to do about it. We hope you'll join us for this rich learning experience so you can begin to shift out of it more easily, quickly, and harmoniously. To learn more and to sign up, head to reboot.io slash anxiety. Hey, Leonie. It's great to meet you. Hi. You too. (laughs) Hey, uh, before we get started, why don't you um, just take a minute and introduce yourself let us know who you are and what it is that would be helpful for you to sort of start, you know, thinking about. But just just give us that introduction first. Yeah, sure thing. So my name's Leonia Kidinor. I live in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I work for a company called Viewbank Homes. Um, so we are a residential 
developers and builders. So we build housing estates in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, my role is the head of residential development, but basically that's a very vague way of saying that I'm involved in sort of the day-to-day running of the business. Um, I also, prior to working in property, I was in management consulting for a number of years. So I love business, very passionate about it. Uh, outside of work, I am involved in a number of uh, nonprofits and supporting them. Um, I'm on the board of a nonprofit called Little Dreamers, which is um, an amazing organisation here in Melbourne. And outside of all of that, I've got a passion around self development, um, radical self inquiry, as you say, Jerry. <laughs> and um, you know, I'm a meditator and just, uh, and I love being active. So that's sort of a little bit about me in a nutshell. That's um, great. I thought what would be helpful, yeah, today, today was to talk about uh, essentially how do you feel satisfied about mm. what you've achieved each day? Um, so, I find that sometimes I'll get home and I'll reflect on what I was wanting to achieve during the day and then what I have achieved. Sometimes I sit there going, okay, I hit most of the key priority items I'm feeling okay about today. And then other days I'm thinking, what happened and how did I have, how was I pulled in every which way and wasn't able to really achieve what I wanted? And then I find that that can then leave me feeling a little bit anxious, frustrated, even though I know that I've done the best I can. So I don't know, it's just something that's been on my mind and I wondered if other people felt that way from your experience and how maybe I could better manage the self-criticism that comes with not feeling like I've done enough. Hmm. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, it's a very familiar feeling. Um, can, can we spend a little bit of time getting a little bit more context for you, you know, about what's happening for you and, and you saw me taking a few notes and all, tell me about this sense of guilt. Tell me about what is it? The, um, there's a phrase that, uh, Brene Brown likes to use, which, which I really enjoy, which is what is the story I'm telling myself? So when that guilt comes up, what is the storyline? What is the story you tell yourself? Yeah, it's it, oh, it's a good question. It's typically, it's just that, that chatter in the head, which is, um, you know, did you need to take that five-minute break to sit outside, you know, or could you have just ploughed on or, um, you, you know, why couldn't you have done that quicker? That phone call, you could have cut it down further. You, you know, it went on too long. Could you? And it's just kind of that critique. Um, and, you know, I don't think of every moment in the day and make myself crazy over it, but I do certainly think back to the big moments and think, oh, you know, could I have done that better? And mm. if I could have, now I'm feeling not great about myself and I'm feeling a little bit, yeah, guilty. And I hope to learn from that and tomorrow I'll do better. But the thing is, tomorrow comes and typically, you know, no one ever, I don't know, I've, I've never actually finished a to-do list <laughs> in my entire career. <laughs> and, and that's just what it is. I think you've got that list there as a, a good guide as to what you're trying to achieve. But really, um, if you hit a few of your top priorities, that's probably, you know, should be good enough. And I wonder if for most people that is good enough and then they can 
carry on their day and feel satisfied, but I'm always sort of challenging that in my own mind. All right. You're sharing a lot and it's really helpful for me. I'm getting a good sense of some of the things that you're struggling with. Um, I want to just reflect back something that, that I just heard you say, perhaps for the second or third time, which is a kind of curiosity you had about how other people, and I think the phrase was, I'm curious if other people feel they're good enough. Now, that, I may not have heard it 100% accurately, but you're nodding. Does that, does that reflect the feeling? Yes. Yeah. And I think what I heard you say before is, I'm curious if other, how other people, if other people have the same problem. Did I remember that correctly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So notice those two things. And, and you're smiling a little bit as you notice those things. Um, mm. Think about, so, so what, we're, what we're working with is a kind of internal voice of harsh self-criticism. And um, it's kind of relentless, isn't it? Yeah. It, it really even, it can even show up in this, in little, in little minute ways. Like, did you really need to spend five minutes? Why did you drive those three blocks when you know that there was going to be traffic? Now you're smiling because I, it's because I've been like wiretapping your head (laughs) (laughs) or, or, but, but I imagine too, that there are times when it's actually large things like, why did you date that person? Or why did you make that decision that might show up as kind of a rumination? Am I, is this right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the pressure of trying to expecting to get it right the first go and when I don't, it's like, oh, God, you know, here we go again. Mm. Um, it's that I used to use the word perfection and with mm. the uh, self-development work that I love doing um, and the retreats that I've been on, a lot of the times that word will come up, like that sort of expectation around perfection, which I now know is actually bullshit. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's something that I think I you know, I was proud about like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at stuff, you know, I'm pretty good at life. And so when I'm not, it, you know, it's what happened there, you know, mm. and every day we're just, it's, we're just, we're going with it. We don't actually really know what we're doing. And if we're doing well, it's, you know, it's hard work a lot of the time, but sometimes it's luck. And, you know, there's so many other things I think that contribute to, mm. you know, landing something exactly how you anticipated it. Mm. Um, which also, I guess, comes into control as well. I anticipate this action, um, this outcome, so therefore, you know, I have to hit that exact, you know, outcome or result. So I think there's a few things at play here. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely. I'm glad you just said that because that's, uh, that's actually the feeling I had. That the, the, it, it's actually a complex web of interconnected uh, things going on, one of which is, is um, control, very powerful word. Control is often a reaction to fear. Um, the desire for perfection is often a similarly fear-driven uh, phenomena, um, which is that if I am less than what is expected of me, that I'm somehow going to um, have some sort of threat. And what I often say is that I think that most of the threats that uh, we feel internally are really a threat to either our feeling our ability to love or be loved, our feeling of safety, or our feeling of belonging. 
And sometimes it's a combination of all of those things. And so, so we've got this complex web of feelings of relate of, of related feelings going on. Um, there's guilt, guilt that I haven't been enough. Um, the voice, that voice of, of a harshly critical voice that is like watching your moves. I'm imagining occasionally that voice can actually be externally focused, right? You might, now we're going to smile a little bit. Maybe, maybe, uh, how, how are you when other people let you down? You're not great. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, not great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the voice that's setting a kind of standard is really setting a standard kind of across the board, isn't it? Mm. Right? Now, you're probably, I'm just guessing here, so to correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably harshest on yourself. Correct. And when people don't live up to your standards... Is there hell to pay? I, I'm quite empathetic as well. So yep. I would say I would recognize it. Would I give someone a hard time for it? I would voice my opinion and say, you know, this didn't sit right with me for these reasons. I consider myself quite diplomatic and um, so reasonable. You're not, but you're not unreasonably aggressive or something. No, it's just to myself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that that's the one where you're hardest on, right? Okay. Mm. So, you know, you wrote in talking about this in terms of running the business and and then also balancing a bunch of different things. And there's this sort of other vector in this, which is, I'm doing a lot, but somehow it doesn't feel like I'm doing enough. Mm. Does that you're nodding? Does that resonate? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then I'm just pulling from your email. I hear of people working 20-hour days. I've tried this and it doesn't work for me. Pause. I've had issues in the past with adrenal fatigue and glandular fever from pushing too hard. Yeah, something just happened. Your, your body just shifted a little bit. What, what are you feeling as I replay those words for you? Um, I feel like that's honest. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. Um, so notice that, notice that mm. there's a kind of exhaustion that your body can feel. Mm. And there's a, there's a line from a John Adonio poem called blessing for one who is exhausted in which he says, you have traveled too far in empty time. And so this is another vector, if you will, in the complex structure here. Which is, I, cl I put my head down at the pillow at the night, and that voice rises up and says, you still didn't do enough. Why didn't you? And yet, I'm exhausted, but I don't understand. Notice again how the comparison to other people shows up. I don't understand. Some people seem to be able to work 20-hour days. And there's a softness showing up in your face right now. Mm. What's happening for you? I think that is part of the frustration sometimes. Um, you know, I, I love my work and my work, yes, takes up a fair bit of my time, but I've also got other passions in other areas of my life. And so when I commit to all of these things, 
Um, you know, I find that there's not enough hours in the day to really kind of, I don't know, achieve highly in every single bucket because I, I'm not one of those people that's completely obsessed with work. And so that 20 hour. But you think um, you're supposed to be. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like I hear some other people and I'm like, wow, really? Like, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I just, and then I'm like, oh, that damn, maybe I should be. But I know I can, I work up to 12 hour days and, and but I work crazy intensely during that time. I'm not stuffing around. So I do that and then I'm out and then I'm doing something else and then I'm doing my non-for-profit stuff or I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Right. I'm not someone that just sort of sits around, but, but yeah, but, I just, but oh, I, I want to, I want to suggest to you mm. that to the degree that we can sort of unpack this a little bit further, um, notice and hold to the side a bit the degree to which you're comparing yourself to others or comparing yourself to this other structure. I want to go back to the voice for a little bit. How long has you, have you lived with that voice? For as long as I can remember, I think. I mean, there's yeah. always been a voice there saying something. <laughs> what sorts of things does it say? Um, I think, yeah, I've noticed that this, as I've become more self-aware, it's quite critical, that voice. So, and I'm, I'm making efforts to turn that around and I'm, I'm noticing it so much more, which is great. But look, in the past and even now, the voice is saying, yeah, it's, it's this whole not enough, not good enough, not working hard enough, not... Okay, tell me know, about... I'm going to interrupt because I'm, I'm going to yeah. coaching techniques. And, and when yeah. I interrupt, it's a kind of cognitive dissonance that's going on here. And, and, and what I want to I stay with is, is um, I've been working to turn it around. What does that mean? I've been working to notice it more and quieten it. What's wrong with what it says? It makes me feel crap okay. <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. So, so, so I'm going to replay what I'm hearing. You tell me if this sounds right. So I have this, I've grown up with this voice. And sometimes this voice has compelled me forward and I've done really amazing things with it. But sometimes that voice won't let me rest. And sometimes it so won't let me rest that I am exhausted. And sometimes I get angry at that voice that it won't shut up. And sometimes I worry that that voice is right, that I'm not enough. Is any of this finding a home yeah. inside your body? Spot on. Yes. Yeah. I want to give you something. And, so, and, and Jerry, you don't understand. I am dedicated to self-development. I am meditating. I am going to meditate that voice until it's quiet. <laughs> now you're laughing. Yeah. Right? Because I really have been listening into your brain, haven't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to say something about that voice because it's a very, very familiar voice. And I'm tapping into that voice that lives within me to be able to speak. So from 
thousands of miles away, I'm with you. Okay. I'm going to suggest that you do something really radical here. That you love that voice. Because that voice wants something really, really special for this little girl. Because that voice has lived inside of you all of your life. What does that voice want for this little girl? Security, safety, success. Yeah. The problem is that that little, that voice is kind of screwed up. It thinks that if it's really mean to you, it's going to make you feel better. And you can understand, the reason I keep pointing about little girls is because there's actually a childlike logic that lives within that. That voice is saying to you, I suspect, hey, listen, if only you get it right, if you get it perfect, then what's going to happen is love, safety, and belonging for the rest of your life. Does that sound right? Yeah. The problem is that like a lot of conclusions that children come to, they make sense in the time in which they form that belief system. But then the world evolves, we grow up, and it becomes much more complex, and it actually no longer works. And, and the voice that actually saved your life I'm speaking metaphorically, of course, but perhaps not. That voice, it's just looking out for your best interest. It's just got, it's got a view that's kind of needs a, an operating system update, mm. a, cha- a change in the programming. Because what if, if we hold that point of view, what does that what does that voice want for you? What does that voice if if you could live up to all of the expectations that voice would have, what would your life be like? Amazing. You, you know, I'm dancing on rainbows. <laughs> dancing on you'd probably be farting rainbows. I mean, <laughs> You, you know, you everything that you do, right, would be safe and wonderful and loving, and you'd never be hungry, and you'd ne- right, you'd open up the faucets in the house, and red wine would pour out of one, <laughs> and and you'd laugh, and you'd feel love, right, and you wouldn't have to worry. Tell me about worry. Tell me about what, what did you worry about as a kid? Um, achieving. That was what, certainly priced in the, what, my household. What, what if you didn't achieve? Guilt. I'd, I'd feel, yeah. Why? Who would you When I down? achieved... 
Yeah, well, when I achieved, I would be praised, particularly by my parents, probably particularly by my dad, and I loved to, you know, make him feel proud of me, really. And so I would succeed at school academically and things like that so that dad would be proud. I didn't really care so all that, that much myself, to be honest. Dad's <laughs> love. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Right. right. Now, dad did his best. But the message that you got was that if you, if you, you're, the, the love that you would feel, the love that you crave, the love that we all deserve as human beings, becomes dependent upon actions, external actions, and measured by external actions. And so then what happens is if, we, if our external behavior, including showing up five minutes late for a meeting, doesn't match those expectations, what's threatened is that sense of love. Tell me, tell me about your meditation practice. So um, I do currently, I just use Headspace and I do 10 minutes a day and I sit there and because um, I was doing, I did TM meditation for a while there. So that was the 20 minutes start at the start of the day in, in the afternoon. Um, then I found, yeah, sort of fell out of that a bit. And I thought, you know what, 10 minutes at the start of the day is, is better than nothing. So I have my little morning routine where I get myself ready for the day mentally and then yeah, I, I do that every morning, pretty much, my meditation. And um, are you a good meditator? I'd say question. no. I try. Okay, so Ani Pema Chodron, one of my teachers, uh, once said in a teaching that if you spend 20 minutes, if you sit down with the intention of meditating for 20 minutes and spend 19 minutes lost in thought, and wake up in the last minute, congratulations, you had a wonderful meditation session. And this is really the, the, the issue. What can happen to high-achieving people, people who use external structures to create a sense of love, safety, and belonging, fueled by a harshly critical voice, what can happen is we can turn everything into a mechanism for getting an A, including something as profoundly releasing as a meditation session. We can use something as profoundly important as, quote, our focus on our self-development, which is a phrase you used before. Am I developing fast enough? Am I getting an A in vulnerability <laughs> and authenticity? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's literally um, uh, an endless process of finding reasons to not be worthy of love. Mm. So, so Headspace and, and Andy uh, Padakam uh, comes from a Buddhist tradition. And there's a, there's a core fundamental belief in Buddhism. And I don't know if you've heard of this notion of Buddha nature or basic goodness. But, but Buddha nature just basically boils down to this. We are fundamentally, inexorably good. We are born that way. 
And the clearest evidence of that is the fact that we're born human beings. And the logic goes like this. Only human beings can attain enlightenment. And since you were born a human, you have the potential, every potential to be a Buddha. And so there's literally nothing you have to do other than to remember that you're fundamentally good to stay worthy of love, safety, and belonging. There's nothing you have to do. This is completely radical in our Western culture. Because are you kidding me? If I don't <laughs> wear the right deodorant, I'm not worthy of love, safety, and belonging. Yeah. <laughs> right? If I don't mm. smell right, if I don't look right, if I don't act right, if I don't, it's this, it's this constant set of barrage of messages. And in fact, what we use, what we do is we twist words, uh, wishes for beautiful aspirational values, not as this gorgeous goal to reach towards, but as a source of guilt to somehow compel us to be better people. And the trap goes on and on. How do we break the cycle? I know there's no quick fix, but where do you start? Well, I think we start by loving that voice because that voice is part of you. That voice is looking out for you. That voice doesn't want you humiliated. That voice doesn't want you feeling shame. That voice doesn't want you feeling regret. And what we want to do is love that voice and tell that voice, chill out. I got this. Or even more, thanks. I really appreciate you working overtime to make sure that I get everything right. But these people in my life, these external people in my life, they love me even if I fail. And maybe someday I'll love me even if I fail. But I got this. And you can relax because I'm safe. I'm worthy of love. And there are people that I belong to. Now, what I did was just short circuit a lot of work, right? Mm. It's a lot easier to lay out than it is to actually do. But if we can start to operate with a contract that says that that voice is not the enemy, that voice is just misguided. It thinks that the best way to take care of you is to make sure that you don't make any mistakes. But um, I want you to imagine, I don't know, if, do you have children or, or you, do you I hang don't, out with no, no. What is Little Dreamers, by the way? It's so they basically support young carers. So children or people under the age of 20, um, 25 who have a sibling or parent who has a disease or um, an illness. And so the whole um, thing around it is, that person with the illnesses and disease is being supported in one way or another who's supporting the carer. So, and, um, and, so and I have a big affiliation with children and yeah, supporting them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had that feeling. I had that yeah. feeling. So tell me, picture in your mind one of those kids. 
Mm-hmm. Is it a, how do they identify girl, boy, fluid identity? How does. Yeah. Girl, girl, boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Picture I've got one. one in my head. So yep. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and 10 year old girl. Yep. Okay. And I want you to hold her in your head mm-hmm. and I want you to tell me, tell me what possible things she can do to make you not love her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But what if she actually gets only a 95 on the test? Yeah. It still wouldn't matter, would it? Right. Yeah. And, and what if she actually forgets her lunch bag at school or her lunchbox at school? Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm. It's like we can extend that level of loving kindness to that other person. Who, who, no matter, do we want her to strive and achieve? Of course we do. We want her to feel the pride that comes from working hard. But we also know that you're going to keep her safe. She belongs. And you're going to love her. Mm. Now, if you would like her, would you like her to grow up with this voice of harsh self-criticism? No way. Yeah. So then your job is to come to love your internal critic in such a way that she, you model for her what it's like to be in relationship with that voice. Because the truth mm-hmm. is she probably has that voice as well. Mm. And even more so, I guess, with the younger generation and, you know, your social media and all these things we didn't grow up with. Um, the, the opportunity comparison. to prepare yourself. Oh my God. You know, it's frightening. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, the work here is really around letting go of the need to hear that voice in that particularly harsh way and loving that voice in a way that allows you to um, take the advice of that voice without necessarily taking in the criticism of that voice. Mm-hmm. thanks i really appreciate it, the fact that you pointed out that um i often uh speak about my my friend and teacher sharon salzberg and her book loving kindness would be a really wonderful book to consider reading it um, mm-hmm. the practice of metta m-e-t-t-a um mm-hmm. is a practice it's the daily buddhist meditation practice of coming to love to, to, to generate loving kindness for all beings, yourself included, and mm-hmm. to allow yourself the small mistakes of every day. Um, the other day I, I, I went shopping and I came out of the supermarket and I couldn't find my car. I was in the mm-hmm. parking lot and I, I, I couldn't find the car. And this never happens to me. And I immediately mm-hmm. went into all of the self-criticism. Well, three hours earlier, I had had some dental work and I was still loopy from the anesthesia. And so I gave myself permission to lose my car because that's not something that I do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I saw in that a moment of being able to just be gentle to myself. To be kind. It's a practice, isn't it? I, well, it, for, for me, it, it's a bit of a practice, yeah. It is a practice. And, and I'll let mm. you in on a little secret. That word practice is a really powerful word because it is not something we achieve. 
Mm-hmm. It's something that we do every day. And so part of the meditation practice for you might be to take a few brief minutes at the end of that session and just say, I'm okay. Even, even on the days in which I've made mistakes, I'm okay. And mm-hmm. they can't see because, I, because we're on video, but my hand is over my heart. I'm okay. And to forgive yourself of the small mistakes. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's strongly related to upbringing? Do you think people who were, you know, constantly praised as children for, you know, not a whole heap, but just constantly praised and showered with love, do you think they then maybe don't have the same issues as an adult, you know, criticizing themselves? Or do you think it's just being human that we all do it? Um, before I respond to your question, I want to point out something. I hear of people working 20-hour days. Do you hear the comparison in your question? What's mm-hmm. the comparison? I'm looking at what? someone else is doing and thinking, should I be doing that? Right. And so, if I'm not, why not? You know? So, so yeah. now let's go back to your first question, which was, do I think mm-hmm. this is part of your upbringing? What do you think? I think it definitely has an impact. Absolutely. So informing the, that voice. Tell, tell me about, tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so extremely ambitious person. Um, he actually started the Eubank Homes 30 years ago, um, came from nothing, came, uh, was born in a village in Africa, went to a boarding school there um, only because he got the, um, the grades to go to this particular boarding school. It was pretty full-on environment. You can imagine boarding school Africa and it was one of those ones where unless you were top of the class, that's basically your ticket out to right. the real world. You know, what country otherwise you become a farmer. This is Nigeria. Nigeria. So pretty full on. Um, and so he was, he's really smart. He's got a photographic memory. He um, was, you know, one of the top in the class, got a scholarship to leave the country and never looked back. Um, so, you know, his upbringing similarly wasn't really in the family environment, to be honest. Um, it was at this boarding school where like the older brothers who were sort of like your mentor, but in, I think a bit more of a harsh sense from what I can understand, um, discipline, strict, um, punishments or that kind of intense environment, which produced these brilliant children who went on to conquer the world. But I guess, that's the sort of environment he grew up in. Mm, mm. And tell me about mum. So mum, mum is the softer of the two, I'd say. I mean, look, I love both of my parents equally. And I think as I've gotten older, I've come to respect my father a lot more and understand where he's coming from. And um, so, you know, but mum, I feel has always sort of always had my back and always has been that voice saying, oh, I wouldn't worry too much about it. So she's kind of balanced it out a little, always wanted me to achieve, but I think um, also mindful of my state of mind um, versus feeling like um, dad where it was like, you know, if you achieve, excellent. If you don't, what happened? You know, 
mum's just like, oh, well, if you didn't achieve, that's all right. Try better next time. So she's, she's had that influence in my life. I, I want you to go back in time a little bit. Tell me what would have happened to dad had he failed out of that boarding school. Good question. He would have stayed in Nigeria. He may have gotten into business in the main city. You know, there's not, you know, he would have just gotten by. There's no way he could have afforded a ticket out of there at the time. Tell me what would have happened to dad had he not been able to get into that boarding school in the first place. Had he not been able to, potentially would have lived in the village, um, maybe would have got a sort of a job elsewhere, but certainly wouldn't have been able to, I don't know. I mean, you never know what what could have happened, Uh but I think that boarding school really gave him a massive leg up to now being able to have this massive organisation. So did dad have brothers and sisters? He did, yes. And what happened to them? Um, The ones that didn't get into the boarding school stayed at home in the village until 18 and then went to the city to find a job. Right. And so um, it's possible. We don't know because we can't A-B test, right, life. But it's possible that, that had dad not gotten into that boarding school, he might not have left the village, even emotionally. Even if he physically left the village, he might not have mm-hmm. left that village. Mm-hmm. And how many generations back go w- w- were in that village? As many as I'm aware of. So our ancestors so, were from there. Yeah. Right. So, so really what we're talking about is kind of um, uh, uh, the, the weight of failure would be to, to sort of break away would be the failure to 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 shift away from uh, millennia generations of 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 folks who were in that village or in that region or in that community, and so when the stakes are that high, it's really hard to just be as your mom would suggest. It's okay. Mm. Right, Dad's carrying on his shoulders and has passed on to his daughter the wish, the, the importance of being able to break free of all of that. Um, I have this image. Has your dad ever gone back to Nigeria? Once or twice since he left. So he's really just... Um, have you gone? I went when I was very little. So, no, I haven't been as an adult. Because, I mean, just kind of on a beautiful ritual that might be there is to, for, the, for, for dad and his daughter to go back um, and, and honor the energy and the ancestors that were all there and let them know that what's available to him now, what's available to you now, is he doesn't have to worry that you're going to end up back there. Mm. I mean, I think, I think that to get intellectual about it for a moment, I think that, that what happens is many of the anxieties that we, care, that we have as parents, we pass on to our children. 
many of the stories that we tell ourselves um, come down to us from our ancestors. And it goes like this. If you do not do this, then the Cossacks are going to ride over the hill and wipe out the village. If you don't do this, then, then the British are going to come and they're going to wipe out. If you don't do this, then, 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 then the, the generational, the multi-generational pain and suffering will just continue going forward. And so that creates this monumental sense of urgency behind a sense of achievement. I have to break through because if I fail, we tumble all the way back. Does that sound familiar at all? Absolutely. And I think you're right. It's that energy of I must break through, otherwise I'm going to be, let's say, living in this village for the rest of my life. You know, um, it's that level of intensity that, I sometimes reflect on, I'm like, oh my God, I'm bringing that level of intensity to my day where I'm safe. I'm in my house. I live in Melbourne. I know where my next meal's coming from. Why am I bringing the same level of intensity around my to-do list that potentially was brought, you know, by my father around something a lot more intense? So you're right. I mean, without realizing it, we implicitly start taking on board things that our parents have said and the way and the energies that they bring to certain things. Um, so I think it was you that said, you know, we, um, we, our children will always be broken or it, you can't, you can't be the perfect parent even, you know, there's always going to be something that you bring to the table that the child's going to take on and then have to deal with later on in well, life. It, to some it, extent. It, it, and in a sense, um, the child wants so much to belong that the child will um, emulate positive and negative aspects of the experience of being in the family in order to make certain that if all else fails, I know where I belong. This is home. This is who I am. And, um, you know, at, at one point, you note you talk about the fear having been beneficial to your success and noting that it has a shadow side, which is that anxiety and unease. I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about. And what we want to do is welcome that in and we want to love that in. We want to appreciate what it has done for us and then let it know that energy. Let it know, hey, dad, we're not going back to Nigeria in that way. We may go back, but we're not going to go back and end up trapped in the village, which may have been the fear that he had as a boy. Mm. That, that, that the generations to come have opportunity that that little boy helped create mm. by studying so hard and getting into that boarding school. and. We're safe now. What, what would happen to you if you gave up the fear? The fear of... Not being having, enough. Not being enough in general. Um, I think liberation, I don't know, feeling free, weights of the shoulders, just being more present in the moment, 
stop worrying so much about the future. I don't know, just a, a, a feeling of lightheartedness. What would you lose that you would want to keep? Yeah, I'm scared I would lose that drive, right? that real intense motivation that I have to succeed. Right, right. And see, the belief is if I give up this fear of not being good enough, then I will lose the drive and I might not make it to the boarding school. Mm. But you're already out of the village. Mm. You're already in that new place. The work is really about letting go of, well, loving what that voice has done for all of you in the family and then allowing, allowing the possibility that you're okay just as you are. I hope that was helpful. It was. No, thank you, Jerry, giving me a fair bit to think about. Um, so as I said, it's a practice and it's, I feel like I know where it's stemmed from and I feel like just in, even knowing that and looking back and going, oh, I get where, why I behave the way I behave, why I think the way I think. That gives me a level of comfort because it's not this unknown beast that I, you know, can't tame. So it's a practice, but I'm, you know, I'm up for it. So, (laughs) Well, I want to thank you for, you know, sharing your thoughts and sharing your experiences there. And, you know, there's a piece here that, that I think would be helpful, which is to also thank both of your parents. Mm -hmm. because um, they've both given you something very powerful, very, very supportive. Um, And there's a balancing act that you're striving for right now. And I think somehow in the relationship that exists in who they are, there may be some answers within that. So, Mm. Well, thank you for for taking the time to to talk with us and um, just, Stay connected and let us know. Let me know what happens for you. Will do. Thanks so much, Jerry. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all three seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of My name is Drew Lawrence, and I'm the Vice President of Client Solutions for the Ash Group. 
the tools we were given and conversations we had during our circle experience certainly helped to enlighten me to different things and to transform how I approach my day-to-day, not just as an employee of an organization, but also as a partner, as a friend, and as a spouse. I think that the area where that's most noticeable for me personally is my openness to discussing emotional topics and being more candid with that and feeling more secure and safe in bringing things up and not being concerned about them being perceived as a weakness. And so being able to understand and and really acknowledge and accept that the problems and the challenges we face day to day are just a part of life and that that's okay. And we don't need to beat ourselves up about it. We certainly don't need to beat other people up about it. And that's been a huge takeaway is that when I'm having an off day or I'm in a bad mood or something triggers me and I find myself behaving in a way that isn't the way I always want to be behaving or strive to behave, to not beat myself up for it too much, to not beat other people up for it when they do it, but to take that as a sign that there might be something else going on and and how can I serve myself or how can I serve other people to help them through that. Consider joining a Reboot Circle. Our Circle's participants have called their circle their secret weapon. You'll gain more self-awareness and you'll know you're not alone in the challenges you face day to day. You'll find the same level of self-inquiry in a coach-facilitated cohort with six other leaders just like you. Apply at reboot.io slash circles.